0: and cry
1: Our guest in this episode is producer, singer, songwriter, and everything instruments, Robert Berry. He's played with members of Yes, Sammy Hagar, Ambrosia, and was the lead singer and bassist of the last recordings with the late Keith Emerson. These recordings also feature Carl Palmer, so it was an Emerson, Lake, and Palmer spin-off with Robert Berry in place of Craig Lake. The band was simply called Three. Keith Emerson died of gunshot wound. In March of 2016, Robert Barry moved forward with the project, and the album 3.2 was released in July of 2018. It's called "The Rules of Changed." Robert Barry. Yeah, I understand you lost your mom in the interim from when I first started to uh, schedule this.
2: I did just a couple days ago. Yeah. I know. Well, my condolences. It's been a little bit of a tough, tough time, but you know. Um You have to march on. This is what, you know, I I always say, and just to get a little personal, I always wanted to be my dad. My dad had a band. My mom sang in his band. My dad had a music store. I have a recording studio. Uh, My dad had two kids, a boy and a girl. I had a boy and a girl, and my dad loved property, have some property. But it was my mom who made me who I am. She's the one that saw the things I enjoyed and supported me right behind me with whatever I wanted to do. So it's funny how life works out. But I, this is what she uh, groomed me to do and knew I loved, so I'm going to do the best to uh, remember her with that. To
1: carry the torch, yeah.
2: Uh, that's a yeah, Definitely. She was a singer, you know, so I'm a singer. So there you go. <laughs> the perfect
1: background. Your dad had a music store?
2: My dad had... You know, and I don't know if he just did it to influence his little kid. He he sold pianos and organs. Then the Beatles came along, and they used Vox amplifiers. Like, uh, actually, Brian May and Queen uses a Vox amp, if you know what that is, AC3. Yeah, yeah. My dad sold them, and uh, I was just a little guy. I had no idea even what they did. But Vox, did you uh, uh,
1: did you have a supercontinental organ with the reversed colored yeah. keys?
2: Boy, you know about them. You know, my dad had all that stuff.
1: Well, that was the coolest thing he going, had, yeah. Oh,
2: man. That was a great little, and back in the time, you know, all the guys that were in bands in, in my town here, San Jose, California, which is uh, Silicon Valley, Yeah, they would always come in. Most of them had Fender stuff, or feces, organs, mm-hmm. and, and they all come in to see that English stuff that my dad was importing and play those Vox Continentals and, and these guys were, you know, so a couple of my hit records here, there's a band called The Count Five had a song called Psychotic Reaction,
0: mm-hmm.
2: a Syndicate of Sound, a Hey Little Girl, and I only know these because they found me years later when I have this recording studio of Tech, and we redid those songs as soundalikes, but by the original band, so that they could own their tracks. In the old days, people, you had to sign your life away, you know? Yeah. So they didn't own their music, and we redid it, which was kinda cool, and it was my job to get it sound exactly like the original.
1: Wow, did you, ever have a, did you ever have a Hammond B3 that you moved around, was a huge piece of furniture?
2: You know, I still have my B3 at the studio, and uh, Keith Emerson actually played that, we were working together down there, broke a key on it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he's a monster, the way he plays, you know, it's like a two sledgehammers smacking the keyboard.
1: Yeah, the listeners, uh, when I first heard of you, and I'm sure the listeners will agree, I heard Keith Emerson and Carl Palmer in the conversation, and I was like, oh, Keith Emerson, um, wow, he passed away like two and a half years ago, I understand. Yeah. Were you working yeah. with him at that time? or?
2: At that time, we were in, uh, doing a new album together, yeah.
1: So what, what were yeah. the final notes that he played? Are they listenable? Are they released on something? Or.
2: We have an album. In fact, that's uh, why I've been talking. I haven't done over 100 interviews on this thing. Yeah. The, the original band in 1988, in 87, 88, Keith Carl and I had a band called Three. We had a top 10 song called Talking About. We toured the album. We had a sold-out tour. We did really great with it. But um, Keith Emerson had a few fans that wrote him letters that said, you shouldn't be doing what Carl did in Asia you should be Keith Emerson doing what ELP did, get Greg back in the band and how dare you have female background singers. And they really read on the riot act. And unfortunately the pressure, um, he bowed to the pressure and broke up the band. And 27 years later, a record company put out a live three in Boston from 1988 album. And, you know, we all signed off and I was thrilled about it, but Keith just thought, well, it's a paycheck, some money in the bank but the album showed up at his house. You know, we all got it on the same day before it was released. And he put it on and listened to it. And He called me so excited. He said, God, I had just, I'd left it behind because the criticism. we were such a good band. And he went on and on and on. So I said, well, Keith, 27 years later, why don't we do the follow-up? Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, let's do it. So we started working on it. Got a record contract with a company in Italy that had been bugging me for like 10 years to do a second three album. Frontiers Records and uh, got Keith good money, got us a year to, to do it. Um, he was very pleased with all that and we were working a lot by phone. We, we met a couple times. In fact, uh, the NAM show, which is the musical instrument show, was coming up in a, a week or so and I haven't wanted to go back. The last time I saw Keith in person was the NAM show of, I guess, 2016, right before he died. Hmm. And uh so, you know, I have to go back because there's a tour being planned and have a lot of different people to talk to about instruments and all the things we use, you know, and software that I use for mixing the album, and all these people have uh, been involved in it. So I have to go back there, but it's a little bit of a melancholy uh, trip for me. Very bad. But was so the album 3.2, instead of calling the band 3, Carl wasn't going to be involved. We're going to do it with Simon Phillips, once we got the, the, um, all the vocals, the songs written, all the keyboards on it. And we haven't even, we never even got to talk to Simon Phillips. You know, Keith was gone three months after it, but we, uh, definitely, we had five songs written. I had 20 to 30% of his keyboards already done. Uh, and then he was gone and I wasn't going to finish it. And with a little prodding and a couple of family members, uh, Talked me into doing it and I finished it on my own. It took me a year to do it. And it was uh, a labor of love, to say the least. I wasn't sure what I had by the time I was done. It. I spent so much time trying to, you know, have these conversations with the, the imaginary Keith Emerson there saying, What would Keith do here? Yeah. How, how, what would he have thought of this? You know, but I worked with him so much, especially in the early, late 80s, earlier days for he and I. Um, in the rehearsal room at his house which was uh, in England in a, in a big barn we had all his everything was there the Moog, the GX1 keyboard all this stuff every chord imaginable because he was on the ground floor of chord designing synthesizers and when we test them and everything he had all kinds of stuff in that barn So we spent a lot of time and since I was a keyboard player too um, we spoke more the same language than a guitar player or keyboard player would speak you know I could actually Play things to him and um, he played things back and I could you know, I had eight years of classical piano and two years of jazz you
1: know I, was, I hear that right when you
2: know Keith Emerson
1: <laughs> yeah I hear that when you play in fact you sound like Keith Emerson but the only reason I would say that is he's the first person that I saw fuse you know romantic classical jazz all that together and make it sound easy yeah. you know
2: yeah he was, he was really amazing and on the new album of course we wrote five of the songs together so i already had if i didn't have his final tracks i had the working tracks and our demos and stuff so even though i finished it up keyboard wise myself i had so much Keith to go from and it, much of his style and you know i have like you say the hammond b3 you know i have that i have the moog um the Korg oasis you know a keyboard he loved I have a Yamaha uh, C7 concert grand acoustic, you know, piano. Uh, I, I had all the equipment. the The Yamaha uh, Roland D50 was very big, uh, a big part of the Three album in 1988. Mm. And I have that. I have all the sounds that were made for us. And uh, we wanted to retain the sound quality of Three from '88, the, the tone quality of it, because so we really thought there had been nothing quite like it since, or before, of course, because there was no D-50 before, we just got it, one of the first ones. Yeah, But we wanted to bring it into the, the now, too, so we you know, kind of had this formula and everything laid out what we were gonna do.
1: So you a producer, a songwriter, a keyboard player, you, you play other instruments as well, don't you?
2: You know, I've made my life in the studio out of doing track, like if you're a guitar player, and you come into sound tech or sound tech studios, my, I have a state of the art, all pro tools, top of the line, everything. So Bruce brings in his song and he plays on guitar. I go, okay, well, who do you want to knock off the charts? He's a um, Aerosmith. I go, okay, well, all right, let's let's take a look at, you know, how do you fit into that kind of rock? You know, pop rock, a little bit heavier kind of thing. And does your voice, does your song work and everything? We sort of analyze that then. If you don't play drums, I go in and I start with the drums, I'll do the bass, then you put your guitar on. And at that point, either we look at, you know, what else we're going to do production wise, we have you do your voice. And then I go back in and I'll put some kind of keyboards or whatever it takes. So every day at my studio, I'm playing all the instruments on people's songs. So it's sort of a natural thing for me to do. And, uh, I built my business out of it I'm, I I call it a business but I've never worked a day in my life down there I love every day of it. there's just nothing better
1: that's beautiful so having your father as owning a music store did you uh, get in there like after hours and stuff and play the instruments
2: you know I was so young when my dad had box that I could barely play guitar and I was you know still taking classical piano lessons oh and uh elementary school. So I mean I'd go down there, I'd i you know, I'd I'd mess with things. Mainly what I did is I'd rearrange the guitars like had them on hooks on the wall and we'd be getting these new old Vox Phantom stuff they'd got Dan Paul and the Raiders would do these octagonal shaped guitars they'd use.
0: Yeah really
2: teardrops, like they're the stones, we get them so yeah. I'd rearrange them so every weekend when all guys come in, it almost looked like we had new guitars. My dad had all new stuff Because they were in different positions, you know. And, <laughs> I moved, moved the amps around, and I sort of got the dream going, and all these guys who come in from, like, Count Five, who had psychotic reaction hit on the radio,
0: yeah.
2: and they have these good-looking girlfriends. I'm like, little guy, you know, when not really saying, girl, and then going, wow, these guys got it going. <laughs> this rock band thing, that's the way to do it, you know? It's like money for nothing, you know? was the exact opposite. They weren't moving refrigerators. They were the rock band. I go, that's the way to do it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you were a wise kid. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Man, I tell you. I really, I I had the bug, but, you know, as I think about it, we talk about my mom a little bit. My mom sang in my dad's band on stage, and the band didn't know she was pregnant until she was about eight months pregnant. She's a very small lady, Mm. and she's always, you know, kept very thin and doesn't eat a lot and stuff, and I guess while I was being uh, nurtured in the belly there, she was very small, too, so... I was actually on stage I was going to say yeah. I was born yeah you know
1: and, and you didn't have stage fright or anything you were yeah no
2: it's, it's only recently about a week ago that someone told me do you know that the ear the bone within the ear mm-hmm. is one of the first bones to develop in an embryo's body and I didn't know that that makes but, uh, th- hmm, we'll put that all together. I, I like to say I've been sentenced to music. There's nothing else <laughs> I can do. I, I can mow lawns or I can do music. And I don't really like lawns. Mowing lawn. We mow the lawns, so it's music for me.
1: Yeah, good choice.
2: <laughs> now, are you a musician? I have to ask you.
1: I am. Um, i mainly guitar now. Um, but yeah. I, I do vocals and, and I write songs. And um, right. Yeah, my story is, and I'm going to edit this out because this is all about you, but I played, um, you know, my whole life. I played trumpet in the school bands and stuff because they didn't have a program uh-huh. for guitar or anything. And I learned like garage band style like most guitar players that I know. Sure. And uh, I played oh, good th- three years out of high school and I got to open for Heart, the Ramones, Dr. Hook, some of those bands and stuff. And it was looking really cool, but I thought I have to do something responsible. So I went to college. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah and i got out of college i went to work for corporations i worked for general electric sears uh, mainly in marketing and stuff and i always had i always played solo a little bit and stayed with it always interested It was always my passion and then i reached about age 60 and i said you know what the hell with this stuff I, i'm re- most recently in real estate and it's i you know you have to have a passion for what you're doing, or you're not going to do a good job that's with right. it. Right. So then I got the idea to that do is. the podcast and uh, and you know help to fan the fire a little bit more. And and uh, so I'm playing solo a little bit now, but it's uh, far more interesting hearing about somebody like you. So
2: that's what hey, we're doing. You know what? I, I don't think you should cut that out of our interview here. I find that really interesting because most of the people that I talk to I mean on, on the big stations, on podcasts, on, on whatever it is that the blogs that they do, sometimes they'll talk to me then they'll put it out. They'll write it, you know, put it out. But you're actually a musician that, I mean, you knew about the Vox continental in the sixties, you, you know, the equipment, you know what it is. And it's a different slant on things. I think that uh, is a good part of why you and I seem to be uh, connecting and, kind of having a conversation instead of an interview you know it, it's always better to have a conversation
1: absolutely i don't really know how to do yeah. interviews but i can talk about music until you're blue in the face
2: and yeah who yeah. are you who, well, yeah I, i've been so lucky because you know before keith and carl i moved to england to play with steve howe yeah and i was playing guitars and keyboards and gtr so you know my musical career you're talking about passion I did 110% music. I had, my some guys got me out of my dad's music store when I was 12, when they were seniors in high school. That was my first band. I was 12, they were 17, and we were playing fraternity parties. My my mom would drop me off at 8 o'clock to set up you know, my, my organ, yeah. and my dad would pick me up at 1.30 in the morning at 12 years old, and they were just fine with that.
1: Oh, that's, yeah. that's quite an age difference between 17 and 12, yeah.
2: And they drove. You know, they had girlfriends. They drove. I can't <laughs> tell you a funny story. Since you're in the business, yeah, yeah. I was 13. That the second year is with these guys, and they got a gig at Notre Dame Girls High School in San Jose. And they took me aside and they said, "Look, you tell these girls you're 16 years old. <laughs> oh, geez. They're going to be all over you. You're, you're a cute guy." You know, they're going to be all over you. You tell them you're 16. I'm 13. And that that was scary for me at 13. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we don't want them to think we have a little kid in the band. Like, okay. But I was so shy, you know.
1: Was your and voice, sure like, cracking not, you know? at that age? Or
2: it, it probably was. I just, I was so uneasy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole thing. Huh. Because, I mean... I don't know if you know much about Catholic girls' schools, but they're starved for male. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, I, I know the stereotype. <laughs> it, it yeah. And, of course, the guys that were 17, some were 18 by that point. Um, this was like being the Beatles and playing um, <laughs> yeah. Madison Square Garden yeah, girls' school, you know? <laughs> so I just, I haven't talked to anybody about that. That's so funny. You brought that memory back to me. <laughs> oh, uh, talking about this stuff. But, you know, I like I said, I started. They went over to Steve Hal and Keith and Carl, and when that was done, I, you know, Sammy Hagar asked me to fill in for about three years while Van Halen was having problems toward the end there, and they didn't want uh, Sammy to play with Michael Anthony, so Sam asked me if I'd do it because I'd done some stuff for him, and I actually have my band Alliance. I don't know if you read about it, who's Sammy's old band. When Sammy went to Van Halen, they tried to get me together with Sammy's old band to keep that going. And I had an offer to go to England. I worked with my heroes in the English, you know, progressive rock field. So I kind of took off. But I came back, and Alliance still needed somebody. So we've been together and friends ever since. So Alliance had, like, uh,
1: members of Boston in it, correct?
2: Yeah, Gary Peel, a guitar player. Actually, Gary was Sammy's guitar player. Oh. And on, you know, Red and I Can't Drive 55, all that stuff, Gary was. And... Our drummer David Lauzer was Sammy's drummer. And uh, Alan Fitzgerald actually played in Sammy's band then, but he was in Montrose before that with Sammy. Wow. So it was an amazing band. I mean and we're working on a new album right now that's about half the way done out toward the end of the year. And uh Oh, but I've just been lucky, you know, that you, Robert, cash. you, you all started with just say passion, you know, and that's what makes things happen.
1: You're naming off my heroes left and right. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy.
2: <laughs>
1: so, wow. Well,
2: I, I say I'm the luckiest guy you never heard of because, you know, I'm in it because I love it. I'm not in it to make a billion dollars. I'm not in it to be, you know, Santa Hagar or, or famous, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I can't do anything else, no matter what happens. I mean, I'm having (laughs) such great success with this. the last work of Pete Emerson 3.2. It's amazing, the reviews. Man, I just found out yesterday, it, it came out August 10th, and it sold out by noon in every country. Wow. So it took them six weeks to get the reorder back in, because they just didn't realize they'd sell so many. So the record company finally gets them back in, I was told yesterday they're sold out again. Amazon has no copies to sell. I'm like, you got to be kidding me! This record company's falling behind, but people are, are still—they're ordering it. No matter how many copies they have, they're going and they're getting it. You know, and it's been such—I don't know—such a reward to have done so much work and want Keith's last thing to be a great album and worthy of the name Keith Emerson. But uh, it's just really nice to have it received like it's being received.
0: I'm going to write this letter. Think about the words to say But the minutes fly They fly away Without a sound Writing down my heart as if No one ever heard it quiet like this Not this kind of thing before Honesty and more The truth all over Yet all the letters blur and rhyme Through tears I see every line I can't exactly wrap my head around What it means me loving you And you know I'll see you through With every word I say Yeah And every single day Inside. is hardly is. I can't explain the way it is Though miracles may be Your love I never thought i lived live to see For this sheltered space Not the world before That hiding place Just one deep breath What it really means To have faith Recoloring my life in pictures Ain't nothing like my universe before We struggle in between the lines It gets harder every time that can't give up on dreams yes together we've found this time the music rings out as we climb i still can't really figure out what it means me loving you and you know i'll see you through with every word i say yeah every single day. And satisfied is hardly it. I can't explain the way it is. Though miracles may be, your love I never thought i live to see.
1: We'll continue on a following episode with Robert Berry.
0: But until then, honor the future. It comes with a lifetime guarantee.
2: And we're all just trying to make the next day a bit better.